Thank you, Robert. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We want to welcome you here today. Uh, also, please continue to pray for the ministry leaders who serve you and your kids by uh, taking the time to teach them the Word of God. The tortures and brutality continued without interruption. And I lost consciousness or became too dazed to give the tortures any further hopes of confession, I would be returned to my cell. There I would lie unattended and half dead to gain a little strength so they would, could work on me again. Many died at this stage, but somehow my strength always managed to return. In the ensuing years, in several different prisons, they broke four vertebrae in my back and many other bones. They carved me in a dozen places. They burned and cut 18 holes in my body. These are the words of Richard Wormbrandt. He was a man who lived in Romania during the time of Soviet Union, and he spent 14 years in a communist country in prison under their punishment and torture. Why, you might ask? Because he was a Christian who preached Jesus Christ. He preached faith in Jesus Christ and he, his proclamation, and this led to a, a long time of immense darkness for him. You know, it was Augustine that once said, it, it is the cause, not the suffering, that makes a genuine martyr. I think Richard would agree. Many of us will never go through what Richard went through. But I wonder, how is it that someone could endure such hatred and torture? You know, it was said that communists were actually way worse with Christians than the Nazis were with their torture. How do you think you would do if you were in that situation? Could you persevere? I think as believers in Jesus Christ, God can provide for us in ways where we cannot even fathom it or enter into our minds unless we find ourselves in those situations. But and so, if God, though, could provide strength for Richard Wormbrandt in the darkness he endured, know that we can provide strength for, he can provide strength for you in the darkness that you endure. And do you believe that? In today's passage, we're going to see such darkness. But we're also going to see some light. And my hope and prayer will be that this will strengthen and encourage you when you are in a place where you can only see the darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you being needy people. Lord, remind us of your gospel. Remind us of your love for us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That by your strength, that we can persevere in the darkness that we find ourselves in, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us today to trust in you. Help me as I preach this message, Lord God, with boldness. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts through it. In Christ's name, amen. So follow along with me in your Bible today. We're in Acts 16. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible under the chair in front of you. That is a gift from us to you. Please take that. You can use that. On that Bible, it's page 539, uh, Acts 16. We're going to be reading from verses 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 40. So Acts 16, verses 16 through 40. So follow along with me in your Bibles. 
As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his, house and his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, go, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have, and have thrown us into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So how do you stand strong in darkness? Three points today. Our first point. First, by remembering that the light of Christ has power over the spiritual darkness. The light of Christ has power over the spiritual darkness. This is found in verses 16 through 18. See, last week we learned that Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and then also with Luke have now entered into Philippi. And we learned that Philippi was a Roman colony and there was a very, it was very unlikely that there was a synagogue in that city because as of Paul's custom, on the Sabbath, he would go to a synagogue, and we found that he didn't do such thing. He went down to the riverside to a place of prayer. 
And we learn, and we'll learn more today in Philippi, there are really three different types of encounters Paul comes across, of different types of people, right? We learned last week of a wealthy, rich woman named Lydia, and we're going to learn a little bit more about a demon-possessed slave girl and a Roman jailer. And what's interesting about this is all of these three different diverse people groups, or peoples, were very frowned upon by the Jews. These were not ones you would normally interact with, nor would they really interact with each other. But yet we have been learning that God is really breaking down cultural barriers, hasn't he? It doesn't matter how diverse and different God intersects in, in this world, and he does some amazing things no matter how diverse and what's going on. It reminds me of a time I was downtown and I went up to two men who were walking on the street and one guy was a Jew. And you don't find a lot of Jews in, in London. But the other guy was a Muslim. I thought that was kind of different. I mean, it reminded me of that kind of a joke, you know, a, a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim walking to a bar sort of thing. You know, it was like so diverse, so different but God is in the business of breaking down barriers. He is saving people. He's saving Jews. He's saving Muslims. He's saving a wealthy woman. And as we'll see, he will also save a Roman soldier. And so we are told that one day, Paul and Silas are going to this place of prayer, and they encounter this slave girl. And we are told that she has what's called a spirit of divination. A spirit of divination. In other words, she gave oracles or fortune-telling, or she foretold the future. In verse 5, we find out that she sees Paul and their companions, and she follows them, and she's crying out, Sir, these are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. And we find out that she does this over and over and over, over many days. Now, you might think in one way, this, what's, why is this so bad? I mean, it's true, right, what, what she's saying. They were servants of the Most High God. They did proclaim the way of salvation. This spirit, speaking through this girl, was speaking truth. But we read in verse 18 that Paul's not thrilled by this. He's not overjoyed over the free advertising, if you will. In fact, he's greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed. You know, that word, greatly annoyed, is only ever used in one other place in the New Testament. And we saw this back in Acts 4, too, with the Sadducees, the priests, and the captain of the temple guard. They were greatly annoyed as well. And they were greatly annoyed, if you recall, at the preaching of Peter and John when they were preaching Jesus Christ in the resurrection. And we know how angry they got, don't we? So it's safe to say here that Paul was just, he was a little bit more than just miffed. You know what I mean? But why? Why was Paul so annoyed? Well, it could be that the, this spirit of divination, this thing, was a bit of an annoyance, right? Everywhere they went, she was disturbing, making a scene, and people were getting angry at her and guilt by association at them possible, but I think it's a little unlikely. This girl, as we read, gained much, brought much wealth to her owners. It would seem that she was probably somewhat famous in the city. Maybe it was mockery and ridicule. Maybe it was mocking them everywhere. They go, I've had that encounter downtown before. A group of us, somebody came and they mocked us 
And yet they even followed us back to our cars, mocking and ridiculing us. Maybe was it, was it that? There's nothing really in the text that would suggest that's what she was doing. Maybe she just looked real crazy, you know, foaming at the mouth, throwing her hands up and down, you know, making a big scene, you know. Again, I would say that's probably not the case, probably not likely, again, because she brought wealth to her owners. People were obviously going to her and not fleeing from her. I would posit that it's probably most likely, and a good reminder for us, that fellowship between the light and dark is not to take place. Fellowship between the light and dark is not to take place. See, the more it went on and on, the more it would look like they were in league with this spirit of divination. You know, if they had said nothing, in some way it may seem like they're validating her divining as though it was coming from God. See, church, you cannot be all in for Jesus and then go and dabble in the Ouija boards and spell casting and tarot cards and palm readings. We are to stay away from such things. We are not to open ourselves up to such demonic influence, which can, if we're not careful, if, if you do, it can draw you away from Christ. What does scripture say about these things? Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11 says, there shall, be, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interpret owens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. We read in Acts 19, 19, which we'll get there soon enough, that there were these former magicians who now had become Christians and we read that they take all these books of their magic and they burn them all in front of everyone. No more dabbling. Gone. You know, in our world today, it's very clear that people have always had a fascination with the supernatural. But we are to stay away from this stuff. We're to forsake this stuff. You know, it's like quicksand. Easy to get in, but hard to get out. You know what I mean? And left unchecked, it will draw you deeper and deeper into its muck. In this age, we know this stuff will exist, it will persist, and it will rise even more. We need to be on guard. Timothy, or Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Don't let that be said of you. This is why Paul was so annoyed. So how does Paul respond to this? Well, in verse 18, we see that he turns to the Spirit and he commands and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Not in Paul's strength, not in the name of Paul. He's commanding the Spirit, come out. See, Paul is united with Christ and Christ has power. And Paul, as an emissary of the king of kings, with the king's power at his backing, commands the spirit to come out of her. And we read that the spirit comes out in that very hour. And in other words, it came out right away, immediately. The power of Christ, the light of Christ, defeats the spiritual darkness. You see, no matter what this world would teach you, Christians, Christ has power over the spiritual darkness. 
You know, it's movies today. You watch some of these movies or you see advertisements for them. They always seem to make like evil is more powerful, right? Always makes them more powerful. Like the demons, the demonic has more power than God. You know, they're left helpless. You know, that's a lie. Christ speaks a word and the demons flee. Paul, united with Christ, speaks a word and it flees. There is no authority, no demon that is more powerful than Christ. You could take all the multitudes of all the demons in the entire universe, bring them all together with Satan at their lead, and they can come before Jesus with full fury and full force, and at a spoken word, they flee. And he is for you, Christian. If you are a Christian today, you can stand strong for Christ against the spiritual darkness that you may find yourself in. Remember this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. And neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately... The darkness has a way of coming back, doesn't it? And it can hurt. It kind of, it's kind of like that yappy little dog, you know, you're walking along, you're minding your own business, and this dog comes out and it's nipping at your heels, and it hurts, doesn't it? What happens when you turn and face it? It scurries off, it runs off. But when you turn back, well, there it is again, coming right back at you, on and on. Wherever the gospel goes, this darkness is sure to follow. But when this darkness strikes, and it will, brothers and sisters, remember the light of Christ has power over the spiritual darkness. And this leads to our second point today. How do you stand strong in darkness? By remembering the light of Christ has power over physical darkness. The light of Christ has power over physical darkness, verses 19 through 34. And we find this physical darkness kind of shown to us in many ways against Paul and Silas. We see it through verbal attacks. We see it through physical attacks. We see it through physical discomfort. And obviously we see it in physical darkness. In verse 19, we find that after Paul cast out this demon, the owners realize right away what just happened. Their hope of gain, their livelihood has all been lost. And so in response, and no doubt probably in a lot of anger, they drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace. There's no mention of where Luke is or Timothy at this time. And they bring him to the marketplace, and the marketplace was a a place where kind of trials would take place. It was open, it was public. And the owners present Paul and Silas to what's called the rulers or the magistrates. These were essentially the people that ran the town. And they bring before them this charge, and they say they're disturbing or causing trouble in our city. How? Well, because they were advocating these customs that weren't what us Romans advocate. And I think it's kind of funny when you think about it, because, you know, Paul and Silas and the kind of the team have been there for days now, and there's no issues whatsoever with what they've been advocating up to this point. There was no issues with this slave girl proclaiming that they were the servants of the Most High God and they proclaimed the way of salvation. 
And they even kind of just glaze over the supernatural miracle that just took place to cast out demons. That didn't happen every day. See, it wasn't really about the customs. It was really about not being able to make money by exploiting this girl anymore. And so these owners, they start to rouse up the crowd, you know. They rouse them up, and they join in on the attacking. And I would say this is not a physical attacking here. This was a verbal attack, you know, which can be very hurtful. Mob mentality was on the rise. The magistrates then, being caught up in this or whatever, join in, and they tear off Paul and Silas' clothes, we read, and they give orders for them to be beaten. Verse 23 tells us that they were beaten in front of everyone with many blows. There were kind of like first century police officers in the city, and they would have these rods, and these rods would be tied together. It would be multiple rods. It was kind of like first century nightsticks. These police were kind of like riot police, right? And we find that they beat them publicly in front of everyone. No trial, no defense made, publicly and shamefully. And then if that wasn't enough, we read that they throw them into the prison. Verse 24, they take them what's called to the inner prison. This is where the hardened criminals would be. And they put their feet in stocks, and the stocks was probably a wooden beam, yay wide, and it would, your feet would go in there, and it would keep your legs apart, your feet apart. It was extremely uncomfortable. Romans didn't make their jails to be uh, with comfort in mind. And one commentator says, the stocks normally cause extreme discomfort as the prisoner had to sleep either in a sitting position or lying down on the floor. Changing position to avoid cramping was nearly impossible. And so there's Paul and Silas in the dark, probably, probably pitch black, in pain from their beating and constant discomfort. And for what? For delivering a girl from a spiritual darkness. Christians, sometimes a good deed does not always lead to a good consequence. This does not negate the fact that the deed itself was still good and right. But we read something amazing in verse 25, something just uh, simply amazing. At midnight, we read that Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and all the other prisoners are listening. Tertullian actually wrote of this in saying, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. This is simply amazing. And I wonder, what, what do you think they were actually praying for in that? You ever think of that? What were they praying? You know, maybe they were praying for their deliverance. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe they were thanking God that they could suffer for the name of Christ. A little harder. Maybe they're thanking God for the love of Jesus Christ found in his salvation, something we all should be doing. Maybe they were praying for salvation of the magistrates and the police and the owners and the jailer. You know, there's a story of a man who was in a Soviet Union prison again, and he was a Christian, and he was taken from his cell, and he was beaten almost to the point of death. And he was brought back into his cell with the other prisoners. And the prisoners were looking at him. And they were broken. And he started to curse these communists. And this 
prisoner who was being almost to death with blood on his face and his body. He groans and he says, please don't curse them. Keep silent. I wish to pray for them. Tell me, when you are mistreated at work or by your neighbor or even a fellow Christian, do you pray for them or do you curse them? Does Christ curse you or does he pray to the Father for you? In verse 26, we read at this time when this praying and singing of hymns has taken place, another supernatural event takes place where Paul was the initiator behind the first supernatural event that led to the slave girl being free from spiritual darkness. Now God, the Father, is the initiator of this event. Another supernatural event. He sends this earthquake, which really could free them from the physical darkness. Even in the dark, God still sees. This earthquake was so powerful and unique because it came right at the right time. Not the day before, not the day after. It opened all the prisons, prisoners' doors. It even unfastened the stocks. You know, if any one of these things didn't happen, it really would take away from the supernaturalness of this event. They all had to happen because it all led to being able to Paul and Silas to get up and just walk out along with the prisoners. And so we read that this causes the jailer to wake up. You know, his house was probably attached to the jail or, or near this, in the same complex. So he was really aware. He felt this. And, and of course, he, his thought runs right to the, to the prisoners. And he rushes in, and he sees all these prison doors open. And of course, he assumes the worst, doesn't he? They've all fled. What am I going to do? And his response is to kill himself. He was most likely a retired soldier. He was a veteran. Duty was important. And we know in this time and place that prisoners that escape, normally it would lead to a death sentence. And if not, the shame and guilt of what he just did, the the dereliction of duty, would be too much to bear, and so he's going to end his life. Quick and simple. But before the jailer could kill himself, we read these words from Paul. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. This would have been shocking. Why didn't they flee? We're not told why they didn't flee. Perhaps they didn't flee because they thought, well, hey, the worst state will be if I do and I get caught. Or maybe it's just because they were listening to Paul and Silas and God was working in their hearts. Regardless, by God's providence, they were all still there. And so this jailer then runs in to the darkness and he calls for lights. And here we see this man, we're starting to see this glimpse of a man who has been humbled before God. A man who cannot explain what has just happened. And so he falls at the feet of Paul and asks, probably what every one of us would love someone to ask us. He says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? See, the jailer had probably, obviously had heard the reports of Paul and Silas that they were servants of the Most High God, proclaimed the way of salvation. Nothing, there's nothing there that would suggest that they, he didn't know that. There would have had to have been something to prompt him to go to their cells and not the other prisoners' cells. 
to even ask such a statement of them. See, the jailer's heart has been prepared. He's been prepared for the light of Christ. You know, sometimes God uses the trials you face to break down the barriers that people have for them to, to believe the gospel. Did you know that? Sometimes God uses the trials you face to break down the barriers people have for them to believe the gospel. There was a, a young private named Ivan Moiseev in 1970, a part of the Soviet Union Army, and he was a Christian. And his communists and comrades continually tried to re-educate him and interrogate him and talk him out of this foolish Christian nonsense. And yet he always shared the gospel with them. And we read that one day he's brought before the major, the, com the commanding officer, and the commanding officer basically is kind of tired of this. He says, look, that's enough. I'm going to send you out into the middle of the street and you're going to stand there until you give up and recant this foolishness. And the difficult thing about this was it was winter. And they figured it was probably minus 13 or so at the time. And Ivan, no arguing, says yes. And as he's about to leave, the commander, seeing that his, his tactic wasn't working, said, and you're going to have to do it in your summer uniform. And we read that Ivan went of his own accord, wasn't dragged, he went of his own accord out into the middle of the street and stood there in the freezing cold. And there were times where he would shiver so much and he was fearful that he would cave. Would he recant? Would I freeze to death? And he started to pray fervently. And he continued to pray for strength. And at midnight, we re it's told that these shivering soldiers in their winter coats come to see, Has, have you, Ivan, recanted this foolishness? And no, no. He says he would not agree to remain silent about God. And the officers were shocked. They would leave. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock comes. Finally, he's still shivering. Someone comes and takes him to his barracks. He never froze. Twelve nights this went on. Twelve nights. Each day when he was back at his barracks, he, he would talk to his comrades about Jesus Christ. He would sing to Christ in his barracks, which was prohibited, of course. And he prayed for his comrades. And it is said that many soldiers around him were converted by the gospel because they saw in action his ardent faith. And God would eventually deliver Ivan from that darkness through his death. He was eventually killed by the hands of the communists, but he never denied his savior. Brothers and sisters, do you suffer well for Christ when you're in the darkness? Do people see your ardent faith in action when you're in that darkness? You know, if they do, know that it can be used by God to lead people into believing the gospel. This jailer, having been prepared, is open to believe now. And so what does Paul do? He shares the hope of glory with them. 
In verse 31, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. See, it is true, isn't it? There is no other name under heaven in which we can be saved. But who is this Jesus he's referring to? See, the jailer probably had never heard of Jesus before. The Christian had not spread this far yet. You know, you ask a Jehovah's Witness, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, he's probably going to say, yeah, sure, I do. I'm good to go. Is he saved? No. You know, there are many people in our world that have the name Jesus. In Spanish, it's called Jesus. And if you come across some, someone and you say, believe in Jesus, Jesus, and you'll be saved, and the guy's never heard of the gospel, never heard of Christianity, he might be thinking, my, my banker's name is Jesus. You tell me I'm to believe in him? Yeah, sure, okay, it's kind of weird, but hey. No, it's the Jesus of Scripture we are called to believe. So what does Paul do? He explains this Jesus of Scripture to him. In verse 32, it says, They, Paul and Silas, spoke the word of the Lord to them. Paul will now go and share the gospel with this jailer. He will share how Christ came and died for their sins he lived this perfect life, the innocent and obedient in place of the wicked and rebellious. He rose from the dead. He defeated death in the grave. And those who believe in this Jesus, trust in this Jesus, his sacrifice for them, have forgiveness of sins and a new life with God. And after sharing this truth, we see something amazing again. Something changes here with the jailer and his family. Verse 31, the call to believe in the Lord Jesus went out to him and his household. Verse 32, Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him and his household. Verse 33, he and his household were baptized. Obviously something changed here. And finally in verse 34, he and his household rejoiced. What happened? They believed in the Jesus of Scripture and they were saved. The jailer delivered from another kind of darkness because of the light of Christ. Amen. And to be clear, in verse 34, in verse, the ESV says that the entire household rejoiced because he, the jailer, believed in God. But if you look into this and look at other translations, the had believed can be referred not just to him, but also him and his household. And the New American Standard Bible translation will actually say, and he brought them into his house and set food before them and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. Why the whole household rejoiced as well. See, like Cornelius and his household were saved after hearing the gospel, here we see the jailer and his household is saved after hearing the gospel. And what happens? Well, you have a new relationship with sin. You have a new relationship with God. And there's an immediate change. He then goes and sets food out for them. He cleans their wounds. He feeds them. He now loved God, and so he now can love them. This is hospitality extended. We saw this with, even with Lydia just last week inviting them into her home. So once again, the light of Christ has power over the darkness 
if you will, the yappy dog has been driven back once more. And this leads to our final and last point. How do you stand strong in the darkness? By remembering that the light of Christ strengthens us against that darkness. The light of Christ strengthens us against that darkness. Verses 35 through 40. In verse 35, the next day we read the magistrates, having hoped that they've, you know, they've taught the, these little rebels here, Paul and Silas, a lesson, they command them, go in peace. Go in peace. I find that ironic. Hey, yeah, we'll beat you to a bloody stump, but now you can go in peace. What does Paul think of that? What does Paul do? No, he doesn't let it go. He says in verse 37, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. So Paul, I mean, sorry, so these police, they go back and they report this kind of Paul and Silas' words to the magistrates. And what? They're, they're shocked. They're afraid. Oh, my goodness. Why? Because it turns out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They realized the, how illegal it was what they did. See, Paul uses his Roman citizen in a very appropriate way. You know, Christians, we have a heavenly citizenship. But in Canada, you have rights and freedoms because you live here in Canada. I'm reminded of this yesterday and singing the anthem today. This means that if you feel or you think you've been misrepresented, abused, your voice has not been heard, you have the right to speak up. I would say write to your MPs, email, call them. Let your voice be heard, but do it legally. What do we see with Paul here? See, Paul was, it was obvious that he had no issues with being released. That would be ironic or weird. No, it was the lack of a trial and the public beating that he had the issue with, and he wanted a public profession of fault from them. But I believe there was something a little bit more to why Paul brings up his citizenship here. See, if he had not spoken up using his Roman rights, it could really reflect poorly on the new believers, Lydia and them. Why? Because it was very likely that they were Roman citizens and that they now were these new believers. He didn't want them to be seen as disturbing the city, troubling the city. See, Paul's actions were thoughtful and strategic, not out of control. Magistrates now would think twice before they punish someone who is a Christian without due process. And so the magistrates have realized this great mistake. And what do they do? They come and apologize. You know, the word apologize is probably a little strong. It's the word parakaleo in Greek. It can mean encourage, urge, comfort. It's more likely that they tried to appeal to him, plead with him, you know, appease him, you know, okay, yeah, we messed up, please just get out of our city, you know. <laughs> so did Paul really get what he wanted, a public confession of guilt and wrong? In some ways, he, they admitted fault, but not quite the same. Did he put up a stink, stamp his feet, pout, and say, this is not right, no. He made his argument, he made his plea. He didn't really bite. So how do you respond when the government does things you don't like? 
Do you speak up at least? Is your attitude consistent as what is expected of you as a heavenly citizenship, a part of your heaven, heavenly citizenship? Or do you raise a revolt or maybe just in your mind? Can you live knowing that you don't control the government and their decisions? Yes, we have influence, but control, no. Church, pride is not just displayed when you feel the need to let everyone know what you think. And we see it in social media a lot. But it is also displayed in how you respond when you cannot convince people of your position. Paul, having made his defense and making his point, now chooses to move on for the sake of the gospel, what unites us. And before he does, he chooses to go and see these, this Lydia and the brothers before he leaves the city. See, no doubt, they would have witnessed everything that just has happened. They needed to be encouraged. They needed to be reminded, again, of the word of the Lord. And we find even further encouragement just in the words here that would seem that Luke stayed behind. When we read the passage, it seems that it switches from the first person plural, we, back to the third person, they. Luke stayed behind. What an encouragement. They needed to be strengthened against the dark by reminding them about the light of Christ. And so do we. And so when you're in the darkness, Remember, to overcome the power of darkness, you need to remember the light of Christ has power over that darkness. To overcome the power of darkness, you need to remember the light of Christ has power over the darkness. So how did Richard Rembrandt persevere? Even if God never delivered him from the physical darkness he faced, he could persevere because he lived with his eyes fixated upon the light of Christ. And this strengthened him. And he found that when he fixed his eyes, I gaze upon the light of Christ, he found he had something. Something which can never be taken away from him, from anyone. Something that would seem to be impossible to have in a dark place like that. He could love his enemies. The love of Christ enables us to love others. And it is this love that has had men and women of God over the centuries be able to persevere over unimaginable hate and wickedness and darkness. It's because of this love which Rembrandt would see from the darkest places on earth, the light of Christ shine brightest. He would say, I have seen Christians give away their last slice of bread and the medicine that could save their lives to a sick communist torturer who had now become a fellow prisoner. We know about the love of Christ towards communists by our own love towards them. I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet tortured with red-hot iron pokers in whose throats spoonfuls of salt have been forced, being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for the communists. This is humanly inexplicable. It is the love of Christ which has poured out in our hearts. You have this love of Christ poured out in your heart. If you are not certain 
please come talk to us. Please come talk to me, Pastor Matt, or one of the other elders. We would love to chat with you. If you are a Christian, a challenge. Do you pray for those who persecute you? Do you love those who tease you and mock you and ridicule you, malign you, and even, even hate you? Do you sing hymns to God when you are in the dark places and you, do you pray for those who put you there? If not, because of the love of Christ, you can start today. Let's pray.